0: Welcome to the audio version of Lift Your Eyes: Reflections on Paul's Letter to the Ephesians by me, Lionel Windsor, New Testament Lecturer at Moore College, Sydney. Ephesians chapter 4 verses 4 to 6. The one and only God. You've probably heard about the many paths view of religion. The idea is that all religions, despite their differences, are ultimately united because they're all heading towards a common goal. However, the many paths idea isn't only about trying to encourage peace and toleration between religious adherents. It's about actually trying to find something overarching and philosophical that unites the religions. All the religions are really paths to a common X. What's X in this formula? It varies. Sometimes it's a code of morality. Sometimes it's a vision of social harmony. Sometimes it's a feeling of spiritual transcendence. Sometimes it's a general sense of love. Love for God, love for others, love for self, love for creation. Whatever X is, the many-paths view is a claim that X is what all religions are really about. It's meant to be inclusive. But as you might guess, the many-paths idea normally doesn't get very far in practice. It's unstable. It either leads to a kind of lowest common denominator religious soup that doesn't inspire anyone in particular and so fizzles out, or it ends up becoming a religion itself, with its own creed based on the supremacy of X, X being particular version of morality or harmony or transcendence or love or whatever it is, thereby excluding everyone who doesn't agree with the supremacy of X. The point I'm making is that we can't avoid being exclusive, even if we want to. While we can and should seek to be peaceable and tolerant and generous, whenever we say that something really matters or is supremely important, then anyone who disagrees with us will feel excluded. The better question to ask is not whether a religious idea is inclusive enough. That's a dead end. The better question to ask is whether it's true. And in these verses of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul claims that something is both supremely important and true. He claims it's true for everyone, despite our differences. In other words, it's an unavoidably exclusive claim for unity. Where is this unity located? It's not located in a code of morality or a vision of harmony or a feeling of transcendence, or a sense of love. It's located in God. And by God, I don't mean a general sense of divinity, but a specific understanding of who God is. Which God? The God whom Christians have confessed and professed down through the ages. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He is one God. and Therefore, he's the only God. Ephesians chapter four verses four to six There is one body and one spirit, just as you were also called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now Paul says there is one body and one spirit, just as you were also called in one hope of your calling. Paul has used all of these words previously in Ephesians to describe the mission of the gospel. The words one body and one spirit point back to chapter 2, where Paul was talking about the gospel-based unity between Israel and the Gentiles, the other nations. The one body is the new humanity made up of these two previously hostile groups. Jesus died on the cross to form the two in himself into one new humanity, so making peace and to reconcile both in one body to God through the cross. And through his apostles and others, Christ came and preached the gospel, so that this unity was made real in the lives of those who heard and believed that gospel. This is all based on the work of God's Spirit, because through him both of us have access by one Spirit to the Father. So as the gospel is preached and believed, the Spirit builds believers in different places, into a dwelling place for God. The words one hope also point back to the things Paul's previously said about the mission of the gospel. The early Israelite apostolic community were the first to hope in Christ, and through the preaching of the gospel, the Gentiles also came to share in this same hope. In other words, the gospel of Jesus Christ is a gospel that unites. That's because it's a message of salvation, peace and hope. For all who believe, it's a gospel that lifts us from the depths to the heights. It tells us that we're all sinners, under God's wrath, in need of salvation. Then it tells us the incredible news that through believing in Jesus, we are forgiven. In fact, more than forgiven, raised, lifted up, given strength and security in God's love, made his children, and given a glorious hope. That gospel is for all who believe. So the gospel and the preaching of the gospel from Israel to the Gentiles means that there is one body, one spirit, and one hope. If you're familiar with the same, with same Christian creeds in church, like the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, you might notice that these verses sound very creed-like. But there's a difference. Paul moves in the opposite order to a regular creed. A regular creed starts with the Father, goes on to the Son then speaks about the Spirit and his work among the Church. In other words, a regular creed begins with the highest heights of theological truth and then brings it all down to earth. But here, Paul moves in the opposite direction. He starts with the -the on-the-ground realities and then moves toward the heights. Why? Because it's a logical place to start at this point in his letter. Paul has just been talking about those on-the-ground realities of the Gospel mission. He now wants to show his readers that these realities are connected to the highest and greatest truths in the universe. In fact, Paul keeps doing this throughout Ephesians 4 to 6. He keeps both lifting our eyes to the heights and bringing it all down to earth to show how it works on the ground. Here he's on an upward trajectory from our own daily walk in verse 1 to our face-to-face relationships in verses 2 to 3 to the mission and activity of the spirit in verse 4. To the unity we share in confessing the Son, verse 5. To the Father who is over all, verse 6. Throughout the following verses, Paul keeps taking us up and down, showing us how the realities on the ground are connected to the greatest truths about God. And preachers, take note. Don't just stay in the heavens and don't just stay on the ground. Do both for your people and show the connections. The next item on Paul's unity agenda is One Lord, One Faith, One Baptism. These are all connected to one another. The Lord is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Even though the Gospel mission is happening among many different people, Israel and the various nations, there's a common factor which unites this mission, Jesus Christ. This shouldn't be a surprise to us if we know anything about the rest of Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 1, Paul has already spoken about God's plan to sum up all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth in him. How are people brought under the lordship of Christ? Through one faith. Paul isn't speaking here about a general feeling of faith. He's talking about believing in specific truths about a specific person, Jesus Christ who died on the cross and rose from the dead to bring salvation. We learn about these specific truths in the Gospel. So Jesus Christ isn't a general religious idea. He's a specific person who did specific things. Moreover, those specific truths can't be bypassed when it comes to God and salvation. He is the path, because he is the Son of God. There is, in other words, one faith. There is also one baptism. Baptism is about becoming a Christian through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The word itself means dunking or immersing. In the New Testament, and today, baptism normally involves an actual dunking in water, which symbolically enacts being immersed into the truths and promises of God himself. Baptism isn't a magic ritual, it doesn't do anything by itself. But baptism is about clearly and publicly expressing faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and through that faith we are saved. Here, Paul says, there is one baptism. He's not saying there's one way of doing baptism. You'll probably be aware that different denominations today do baptism differently, especially when it comes to infants. But even though there might be different ways of doing baptism, there is still one baptism, because baptism is always about the one faith and the one Lord Jesus Christ. There's an account in Acts chapter 19, verses 1-7, to where Paul arrives in Ephesus and finds 12 men who'd received only the baptism of John the Baptist. But Paul told them that this baptism was incomplete. John's baptism was an Old Testament-style baptism, which was always meant to point forward to faith in Jesus Christ. So Paul baptised them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they visibly received and were sealed with the Holy Spirit. This is the one baptism Paul's talking about here in his, his letter to the Ephesians the baptism in which people believe the one truth of the gospel about one Lord, Jesus Christ. Even though we're all different, and we may come to believe in Jesus in different ways, these differences don't change the fact that there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. For example, there's no special path for Jewish believers to be saved in one way and for Gentile believers to be saved in another. There's only one way to be saved, believing in this gospel message about Jesus Christ. This is all grounded in the unity of God, the Father. There is one God and Father of all, who is over all, and through all, and in all. Paul's describing God here as the one who rules and sustains the entire world. He is, as Paul's already said, the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. It's not as if there's one local God for some groups of people, and another local God for others. There's one God and Father of all. Now, the fact that God is Father of all doesn't mean God automatically brings salvation to every person. God saves those who believe in his Son, Jesus Christ, not everyone in the world. But even though salvation is for those who believe in Jesus Christ, it's vital to remember that the God who saves us is not just our personal or cultural deity. He is the God who rules and sustains the entire world. And so God's unique Son, Jesus Christ, and the mission of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, is for all the world. This, then, is the unavoidable scandal of the one and only God. Saying that God is one doesn't sound too scandalous, does it? But if God is one, then he's also only. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. That means there are not many paths this is an exclusive claim, isn't it? It's scandalous. But it's an unavoidable scandal. Firstly, it's unavoidable because any claim to supreme truth will always sound exclusive to someone. But secondly, and more importantly, it's unavoidable because it is the truth. Of course, I'm assuming at this point that you believe it. If you don't believe it, I'd urge you to check it out. An easy way to start doing that would be to come face-to-face with Jesus by reading about him in one of the Gospels in the Bible. But if you do believe it, don't run away from the unavoidable scandal of the one and only God. This is a truth to hold on to with everything we've got. In fact, it's a truth to proclaim to the world and everyone in it. For Reflection Do you believe in the one and only God whom Paul's talking about here? Do you need to investigate further to see if it's true? How might knowing this truth about the one and only God encourage you to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others? You've been listening to Lift Your Eyes, a lo-fi audio podcast. No witty banter, no crime solved, just me reading my reflections on Paul's letter to the Ephesians. I'm Lionel Windsor, New Testament lecturer at Moore College, Sydney. The text version of this podcast can be found at my website, www.lionelwindsor.net. Please check it out, subscribe and share.